Good morning, friends. This is the day that our Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to seminary worship today. We welcome you who are here in the space to all who are joining virtually as we experience today worship with the whole body, worship with our five senses. You may have noticed when you came in that you were invited to select a rhythm instrument. If you've done that already, hold it up and, and make a little noise. Go ahead and get into our bodies here. Okay, yes. And if you want a second one, there's plenty to go around, so help yourself if you'd like to walk back and select another. At home, we hope that you have something you can make noise on, drum on your desk, um, when we are invited to make some noise with the songs that we are singing today. You may notice some pauses today. That is because of a system-wide outage of our printers, and so uh, locating where we are on a virtual bulletin sometimes takes just a bit more time, so please excuse, <laughs> excuse that while we find our places this morning. Let's stand and sing number two. Uyai Mose, come all ye people. Uh, this is a great one to explore your instruments uh, in more than just the obvious, obvious ways to use them. Uh, how does your movement with them change how they sound? You know? Come and praise your maker. Come now and worship the Lord. 
beautiful things. Maybe see it. Our unison prayer is found in the hymnal number 858, or easier found on the screen, number 858. Let us pray together. Come, Holy One, work upon us. Set us on fire and clasp us close. Be fragrant to us. Draw us to your loveliness. Let us love, let us run to you. Amen. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances, that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy, so that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you, so that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently, so that it may go well with you, and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 to 4 and 17 to 18. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall each revere your mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. 
Do not turn to idols or may cast images for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. You shall not hate in your heart anyone of your kin. You shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The word of the Lord. Number 565. And let's stand again. rather like these rhythm instruments. 
I'm having a good time. I hope you are as well. If we had a printed bulletin in front of us, you would see that a message that I have to share with you is titled, Hearing Defies Groupthink. Hearing Defies Groupthink. Now, if any of you were at the homecoming worship service, you might recognize just a snippet of the message that I am going to share with you today. I tell my preaching students, never recycle a sermon. So I want to make sure you know this is not sermon recycling because we are only using a small piece. The rest is new. So uh, just a little PSA before we begin. How many of you heard your parents or an adult in your life tell you, don't follow the crowd. If they are going to go and jump off a cliff, are you going to go and do it too? I heard it so many times when I was a kid. Is, is that a common thing for us? Yes, I'm seeing some head nods. I'll tell you one time that I heard my mother say this to me. I was just six years old, and I have to say, to, to begin with, this is a very embarrassing story, so I use the fact that I'm six years old to really get away with this. When I was in the first grade, I was a very introverted child, and I was trying to make friends with the new, I was a new student, so the new kids in my class. There were a group of girls in the class that the principal of this small elementary school called the Blondie Bunch. Well, I was not part of the Blondie Bunch, but I really wish that I was. At lunchtime one day, I was sitting next to several of the girls, part of this Blondie Bunch, and they were trying to convince me to do something that I knew was not right. There was a kid in our class We'll call him Joshua. And Joshua was the least popular of all of the kids in the first grade. And this group of girls wanted to get Joshua, but they didn't want to do it themselves. And so they roped me in. You remember those little ice cream containers that you got at school and you would peel off the cardboard and then you'd eat it with a wooden spoon? Well, it was a special day when we got those ice creams. And they convinced me to hide Joshua's ice cream. So when he was turning and talking to another friend of his, I reached over from his tray and I grabbed his ice cream. But then I panicked. I didn't know what to do with it. How was I going to hide this evidence? So like any rational six-year-old, I decided I would sit on it. Well, you can imagine that didn't hide the evidence very well, because as soon as I stood up, everyone knew what had happened to Joshua's ice cream. Well, that landed me in the principal's office. I am glad to say for the first and last time of my school career, but it also landed me a very stern lecture from my mother about not following the group. That has stuck with me all the way to today. You know, following the group is something that comes really easy, and not following the group is something that sometimes comes more difficultly. 
I told you the story about hiding Joshua's ice cream, but what if it's something more consequential? What if you are talking to a group of teenagers, say the group of teenagers that I led for a while in a United Methodist Youth Fellowship group, UMYF, if any of you are familiar with that. And we were having a lesson on not following the crowd, on not following if they lead you into drinking or drugs or having sex before you are ready. And an exercise for this group was to present some ethical dilemmas and to say this side of the room is going one way and this side of the room is going another way with this dilemma. And then let the students, the young people, choose which way they are going to go. Most of the students would end up on the same side of the room. In fact, for almost every ethical dilemma, you saw everybody huddled over here. But then there was one person for one question who ended up separated from the rest of the group. And I could watch those who were over on this side of the room whispering to themselves, why is she over there? What is she doing? what, What does she think about this? It's harder the older that you get to ignore following the crowd. The crowd will put pressure on you. But even so, these are just exercises in practicing for some of the even bigger real-world dilemmas that as young adults, as middle-aged and older adults, we find ourselves in the midst of real-life challenges. Sometimes situations would come up, such as all of the engineers in your working group decide that the bridge that you have created is going to be a safe structure, and you are the one person who wants to raise the issues about it not being safe. Well, that can be a real challenge sometimes. You can picture yourselves in all kinds of these situations, We've all had them. When the group thinks one thing and we think another, and we struggle, what are we going to do about this? But what if it comes down even to a matter of faith? What if your church, your pastor, your denomination, decides to take a stand on an issue, on any issue, and we're thinking either side of any issue? What if it's an issue such as same-sex relationships? And your church, your denomination, your pastor is deciding one thing as a group, and you wonder if they are taking the group in the right direction. You wonder, should I follow the group, or should I listen a little bit deeper? It's easy. And it's natural to fall in line with the group, especially those whom you trust. Why would you not follow the group when they have led you in your faith journey and nurtured you? They wouldn't lead you astray. But what about when your group gets swept up in, say, the issue du jour? 
What about an issue such as vaccines or masking? What seems like a political issue or a science issue has now become a faith issue. And we have right and wrong. We have good and bad. We have the saved and we have the damned. What we find ourselves in, in the midst of all of these situations, from the six-year-old all the way up to adulthood issues that we face, is a phenomenon of social psychology called groupthink. Groupthink is when a group of individuals comes to a consensus without the help of critical reasoning or evaluating the consequences or other alternative behaviors. Those who speak out against the group are singled out, either to be ignored or sometimes to be censored. Groupthink, as we said, is a social phenomenon. It comes upon a group sometimes out of the blue, and groups end up being swept into a common understanding that might defy rationality. We find a bit of that in a passage from the Gospel of Mark. From Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, he being Jesus, the scribe asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to Jesus, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any questions. So I said this was an example of groupthink, but we didn't necessarily find that in the passage that was just read. That's because this falls at the end of a section in Mark where groupthink is happening all over the place. This is during Jesus' last week of his life as he is teaching in Jerusalem. This happens when he is at the temple, and at the tail end 
of some passages where we hear Jesus being accosted by the group. Some in the group are described as scribes, the legal experts. Some are described as Pharisees. Some are described as Sadducees. But it's a group, a group that is being swept up in some of this frenzy. You know, a religious festival is going on. They're getting ready for the Passover. Jesus, the day before, has been in the temple, overturning those tables. It is an environment that is chaotic, just the place for groupthink to grow. Some in these groups have been asking Jesus the questions that we are all very familiar with, those of us who have read this gospel story hundreds of times. We hear the stories of, here's a coin. Who do we pay taxes to? And Jesus says, look at the coin. Whose head is on the coin? We know how that story ends. Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. We hear the story of the woman who was married to a brother or one of seven brothers, and this man died. The next brother in line married her. He died too all the way through until all seven brothers are dead. Ask Jesus, whose wife is she in the resurrection? These are groups who are trying to trap Jesus, trying to get him to say the one thing on which they can later convict him. We see these groups of people leading up towards this story. But what's interesting about this story is that what we hear is one. We see just one scribe come to Jesus And it says that he came to Jesus, suggesting that he has left the group and come and stood right by Jesus' side. And I picture this scribe asking Jesus, you know, I've heard everything that they have been saying, and I don't quite agree I want to make sure, Jesus, that I know what is the foundation here. I want to make sure that I know what the greatest commandment is. Can you confirm that for me? What you hear right now is a a bit of an experience for the five senses. With the masks on, you don't really smell it much, but uh, there's a loaf of bread in that bread machine. (laughs) I was hoping that the uh, scent would waft up a little bit more, but um, it seems that with the masks, that's not quite happening. (laughs) But you'll receive an invitation at the end of the service here. (laughs) Um, So what we are seeing is the scribe. He, He wants to know, Jesus, am I right? And Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment. Before we hear the actual commandment, we see that the scribe has separated from the group. The commandment that he shares is the one that we heard from Deuteronomy, paired with the one that we heard from Leviticus. 
And we know, because Dorothy Jean read for us this morning, that this greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, that that comes as part of a Jewish statement of faith called the Shema. Shema begins with, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And then continues on, You shall love the Lord your God. Jesus pairs this with the Leviticus text that we heard of you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The scribe realizes that he is on the same page with Jesus and and gets excited, assures Jesus, yes, yes, teacher, you have answered well. This is the greatest commandment. And Jesus tells him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, that has been interpreted in many ways through the centuries. Some take that as being you are not far from the kingdom of God, as Jesus saying, well, you're not yet there. But then there's others who interpret it and say this is actually Jesus affirming the scribe in his faith and saying, yes, the kingdom of God is near, and because you hold this to be true, you are not far from it, friend. You are right here with the kingdom of God, right here in the realm of God. This scribe has defied groupthink. This scribe has separated from those who are trying to trap Jesus and has found that in separating from the group that he is not far from the kingdom of God. The scribe has found that truly hearing Jesus requires listening beyond what those in his group believed in common. It required him to hear, to hear, O Israel. For us, truly hearing Jesus sometimes requires of us the courage to listen beyond what our group believes in common. I wonder this morning... What would it take? What would it take for us to stand up against the groupthink that is so prevalent in our society right now? I'm reminded of that lone person in the youth group that I described earlier who stood off by herself and stood against the group. What did it take for this young lady? It surely took courage, surely did. It took listening. It took knowing herself deeply and knowing God deeply. It sure does take courage, friends. And sometimes our courage is there, but sometimes the courage is lacking. And I wonder 
What does it take when our courage is lacking to be able to take that step, to stand apart from the group, to come close to Jesus, and to be reassured that, yes, we are on the right path towards living in the realm of God? I believe, friends, that it takes stillness, that we don't come to that courage in the midst of the chaos of the group, Perhaps when that still, small voice starts to speak to us, that's the clue to step away physically, mentally, from the group, from the chat, from the phone, from the television. It's the invitation to step away into a place of stillness. True listening requires us to step out of that chaos. I believe it also happens when we are in our bodies that we know the voice of God best, when we are centered in our spirit and body connection that is all one. We think about worshiping with the five senses. We have done things this morning to be in our bodies. We have moved with our rhythm instruments. We have sung with our bodies. We have listened to the music. We have heard the scripture. We are beginning just now to smell the aroma of the body of Christ. In a few moments, we will taste and touch the body of Christ. True listening happens best when we are in touch with our whole self as God created us, being in the body, aware of what is around us, and being still, listening for the greatest commandment. Because when we hear Jesus call to love God with all of our being, and to in turn love our neighbors as ourselves. Have we not found that we are in the midst of the realm of God? It takes courage, but friends, take heart, for Christ gives us the courage we need. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be in the stillness of this moment and let the words, images, scripture, and those gathered here and here be in your heart and mind as God is at work in this place.
senses at the table. As Courtney invited us to pay attention to groupthink, there is certainly groupthink around the table, depending on what tradition you find yourself in. But here, it's a welcome table, and all are invited, the table of our Lord. Flour from grain that becomes bread. Juice of grapes that becomes drink, rich with the flavor and smell of the earth, the sun, the gift of water, and created out of the labor of many people. It's a coming together at the table with Jesus, with us. It's a large table, one that stretches at this moment from those gathered here in Martin Chapel to the locations of those of you who are out and beyond. Yet the Spirit of Christ is present, yes? As we remember the narrative of God's love for the world through the words that are offered from Scripture and heard, I invite you to notice the senses that are present. Notice the remembering that has an earthy, sacramental nature and character. Notice the resurrection, aliveness of the spirit, full of holy wonder and awe, yet held together with suffering, rejection, and grief. Notice what's in your heart. And consider this. What is the texture of this gift we call communion or Eucharist thanksgiving with God and each other as we gather and together and set aside this moment? What is in this remembering that is embodied in you, in us, in Christ? Do this in remembrance of me. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat, and it's, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He then took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the loaf, the loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. The invitation is to come, and those of you who have your bread and cup at home, 
to come to this table and receive, I may say designer communion, but it's wonderful that we can do this. It frees us to be together in this way without concern of this thing called COVID. But come to the table and receive the bread and cup. In the very center is the gluten-free, thank you. And on either end are the uh, regular. And then return to your seat and open it up, but hold on to it, for we will take together. Again, all are welcome. Those of you in the room, it may take a little finger dexterity. I invite you to pull off the top. Take out the wafer, the bread. The body of Christ given for us. Partake.
Thanks be to God. I invite you then to take the cup very carefully, open it up. The blood of Christ has been shed for us. Let us celebrate that love together. Now may this gift of gathered together in the spirit of Christ and receiving the body, the blood, through bread and cup. Strengthen us, keep our hearts near to the true commandment to love God, love others and ourselves. In the grace of God, amen.
friends, you are invited to return next week as Penny Driediger is going to be leading us and also a group of the CPE students from this summer are going to be leading us in worship. Also a reminder that if you have pictures that you wish to share for the All Saints service that will be the first Tuesday in November, these would be pictures of loved ones that you have lost. If you want to send those to me, my email address is Courtney.Joiner, that's Joiner with a Y, at emu.edu. So if you can send those to me by next week, we can make sure to include your photos in that service. As we go forth today, we will join with our bodies in a benediction. You can read the words that will be here on your screen. And I invite you to join in some motions. When we say within, Let's point to ourselves within, beside, before, behind, beneath, and above. So let's say this together. Christ be within us to keep us, beside us to guard, before us to lead, behind us to protect, beneath us to support, above us to bless. Go in peace, my friends. Amen.